This week on the Product Agility Podcast, we find ourselves in Lisbon, Portugal at the Productize 2023 conference, where attendees will get to hear talks from Melissa Perry, Tammy Reese, Leah Theron and Radhika Dutt, to name but four of the amazing speakers. We are here to do our talks in 10, and they're the best way for you to get the inside track and behind-the-scenes insights on the talks and workshops from the conferences that we partner with, so you don't miss a beat. If you're at the conference, come and find us. We're hard to miss with our podcast t-shirts. If you're not, then just enjoy these talks in 10. And who knows, maybe we'll see you at Productize 24. Today's episode of the Product Agility Podcast comes with a special gift in association with Aha Slides, your go-to engagement tool for fun, engaging and effective learning and workshop experiences. Whether I am teaching the criticality of a clear and compelling product vision or facilitating a product strategy workshop, Aha Slides always makes it a more elevating and effective experience through its polls, quizzes and brainstorming tools. Discover how Aha Slides can elevate both your in-person or remote experiences by visiting Aha Slides and use the code AHAXPROD, which is also in the show notes, for a whopping 50% off of an annual subscription. So we're here, Product Size 23, another talk in 10, yet another talk in 10. It's been an epic morning. I've met so many people and I am over the moon that Radhika Dutt has made time for us this morning and for you, our listeners, because uh, this morning, Radhika, you were the opening keynote of the conference. Yes, and thank you for having me here. I'm so excited to record this podcast with you. Oh, that's so kind of you. So kind of you. Your talk is the only one which I've seen a, a decent, I say decent portion of in comparison to not seeing anything of any others. I did see some of yours and there was a lot in there that really resonated with me, a huge amount. I'm not going to delve too much into that because this isn't about me today this is about you but maybe we can take some time another time to explore some of it because what you were saying is where i've been for a long time and so it's really nice to hear for those of you that don't know what radika's talk was i've got it down here a radical approach to vision and strategy and you're an author as well yes and i'm the author of radical product thinking the new mindset for innovating smarter so radical thinking and doing things in radical ways is a part of your inner being then I guess you would say that, right? I've had to chart my own path. I lived in South Africa, and this was right after the apartheid abolishment. Uh, and you kind of have to chart your path when that's the kind of um, character-building scenario that you've lived in. I love the way you put that. As much as I'd love to learn more about that as well. Um, your talk, so Radical Approach to Vision and Strategy. This is a talk where, can you give our listeners a summary? Like, What is it you covered and what did you want people to leave with? Yeah, let's start with a problem statement. Why do we even need this radical approach to vision and strategy? What I've found is the, the problem often in product management and how we do product management is it's driven by very often, oh, let's just iterate and figure out what works in the market. The second thing that happens is we say, oh, let's just ask customers what they want and then we'll go build that. But when you step back, right, and, and this is the problem that I see often where when I ask product managers, okay, but what is your vision for the product? Like, what is it that you think? What is your conviction? That's the part where I see a big gap. We are so often forced to be so reactive and tactical that we're missing that clarity of, what is that picture? What is that change that we want to see in the world? And so 
a clarity of vision and strategy means we don't just need a vision that's fluffy that says, oh, I want to be the leader in, you know, data storage. Because what does it even mean to be a leader? Is that about market share? Is that about revenues? Is that about making the best technical product, right? There's no clear answer when we just have this fluffy vision of I want to be the leader in blah. And so instead, a good vision states who has a problem, what is their problem, how are they solving it today? Why does that problem even need to be solved? Because let's be honest, maybe it doesn't even need to be solved. And it's only when we can answer that, that question of why is the status quo absolutely unacceptable that we can then say, okay, so what's the world that we envision and how is our product going to bring it about? That question of what we're doing with our product, we save till that very end. Because a good vision isn't about us. It isn't about our product. A good vision is about that problem you want to see solved in the world that even if you're not the one to solve it, that you'd be happy, jealous, but maybe happy that it's solved. And then that's what we then translate into a good strategy. But I'll pause there for a moment before I, I, I go into the next part. No need to pause. I was just wondering, actually, and I'm not sure if this uh, question or statement, I'm not sure, which, not sure which it is at the moment will mean anything to you, but would you, a good vision would you say it has some kind of systemic impact? So rather than it just being something which is affecting a, like an output, a, a good vision has to be something which has wider repercussions than just the little bubble in which you're considering. Thank you for that question. And I so love that question because very often, you know, especially in startups, by the way, we think that a good vision has to have an outcome. And so sometimes the vision has this part of to be a billion dollar company by doing blah. Here's the problem with that. What you really want in good decision making is you want to trade off the long term against the short term. But let's say you put into your vision this short term requirement of, you know, returns or uh, being this billion dollar company or shareholder output, right? All of a sudden, that trade off of long term versus short term is now reduced to a single dimension. All you're going after is the short term, and that defeats the purpose. And so this question of, you know, what is the outcome or what you want for yourself should never be part of a good vision. It's interesting you mentioned about the short versus long term, because I know there was a workshop yesterday where I think the lady's name was Liz, and she talked about one of my favorite things, which is hyperbolic discounting, which is like a temporal devaluation. And that short and the long term is really, really important. And I think incredibly hard because we are, we're all, we're hard, we're, there's something in us generally as humans which will always do something, will devalue the thing that in the future and value the thing that's more in front of us much more so. So, I mean, the classic is going to the gym or people who are trying to stop smoking, as an example. We know it's much more valuable for us in the long term to do things now to work towards that. But for something in the short term, which we feel is going to be is quicker payback, even though it's less valuable. We'll go for the thing that's immediately in front of us. And I think that maybe that talks to some of the reactive nature that you mentioned before and how a vision should be strong enough then to pull you through so you're not devaluing the thing in the future. You're devaluing the short-term thing instead. Right. You're exactly right. And what happens often is in the absence of this clarity of vision, what becomes most prominent is all of your short-term business needs. 
that short term becomes prominent because we don't have that clarity of long term, right? And we think we have clarity because we have some vision statement that's written somewhere on a PowerPoint slide about, you know, our mission being this and being the leader and blah, blah, blah. But it's it's not real unless it's truly tangible and defines the problem and the solution and why we need to solve it. And speaks to the heart. So the people that have to get behind it, I suppose, there has to be some motivation, something to pull you in. That's right. And it doesn't have to be artificial, right? Because very often we think that what pulls you in has to be this inspirational slogan that's going to motivate you. And on the other hand, just the the very exact opposite reality is that it doesn't have to sound inspiring because it's not about wordsmithing and finding the right slogan. It's about people believing in that vision and then being able to internalize it enough so that they're repeating it back to you in their own words. That's truly the power of a good vision. When you don't ask, when you ask people, you know, what is the vision of our company? And what you hear back is not the slogan that they've memorized, but something that they truly believe. Their own words. I mean, I I wonder this is not, it's not something for now, maybe. Maybe something we can talk about another time if there's an opportunity. But the geographical fluctuations in language used in vision statements or missions. Because I, yeah, I think that there are certain geographic regions where actually some things maybe defer, deemed termed as cheesy or overly strict or dull or unimaginative or unemotional. But in those particular cultures... That works. I wonder if there's any way there's like a database of all these different vision statements and just to see the language differences, I find that might be, that would really interest me, but that's just me. No, but I love that. And you're exactly right. Like that's part of what we have to cut out, right? We have to, why are we so focused on the words and language? What really matters is the concepts that we're trying to convey in the vision. And so in the visioning exercises I do, I tell people, we're not going to wordsmith this. Here's a fill-in-the-blank statement. Don't worry about the words. Just fill it out. And in filling it out, you're answering these really profound questions of whose world you're trying to change, what the problem is, why does it need to be solved, when will you say mission accomplished, and how will you bring it about. And this way, by doing it in a fill-in-the-blank statement, you don't fall in love with your own words. And by not falling in love with your own words you're going to be able to change that vision statement. And by the way, that's so important because markets change, consumers change, your business changes. When all of that is changing, how can your vision be constant? So instead of sticking to a vision, you know, that is long overdue for change, what you really need is to be open to the possibility. And that happens when you're not in love with your own words open to the possibility that we're going to change the vision, revisit it and say, does all of this still hold true? It does strike to me then the question is, or the, the question is, or the, the, the truth of it is, a vision, a vision isn't a statement. It is a shared connection. It's a shared understanding, which we can articulate in our own words, which is something then we, as we can re-articulate how that is for us, but how it is in a new market or something changed or a different cultural geographic region. But if, it, if we have this unseeable connective tissue that links us together with the vision and the purpose, and we can succeed in having a vision articulated in many different ways, but it still takes us in the right direction and we avoid perhaps little cultural, but cultural differences, which lead to visions being articulated in ways which may be kind of less sticky for people. And this, I'm, I'm sure you've seen this in scale-ups, is that when a company gets bigger, when you join the company and you're working as part of it in the early stages, you're incredibly motivated by the purpose and you work long hours and you don't get paid very much and you're, you're in it 
and you and you want it to succeed. And as it scales, all of a sudden that just gets diluted, and more and more people join, and you get less and less of that. And it's 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 a pity. So I wonder what you're saying. There's some great great advice in there for people who are scaling up. Yeah, thank you. And what you said truly resonates for me, because. You know, I think back to some of the startups that I've been part of or stories that I hear. And very often organizations think that to create this shared purpose, we have to make it sound inspiring. And so I'll give you an example. Um, You know, there was a company that said that their vision was to democratize justice. And that sounds brilliant and inspiring, right? Except if you look at what they were actually doing was they were selling a product that was used by high-end law firms, which is kind of the direct opposite of oh. democratizing justice. And I'll give you a counterexample to that. I was leading a team, and our product was making selling TV advertising easier. And if you think of anything more meaningless than that, <laughs> <laughs> I will congratulate you, right? It it doesn't feel meaningful, but we were honest about exactly what the problem statement was and what we were setting out to solve. And for the people whose world we were trying to change, this felt meaningful. And so for our team, this felt like a shared purpose that was meaningful. And we stuck together as a team for a really long time. And our company was acquired for this product that we built. And therein lies the power of being honest in terms of our vision. You don't need something artificially inspirational. Awesome. And I I know we're at time. However, if we can just get back, I want to ask the question that David Pereira asked me, because he's a friend, and then we'll bring this to a close. He asked the question, how can a product person influence on something that is missing? So the vision isn't there, and you're a product person. How can you influence then? That is such a fantastic question, and I have a two-part answer to it. The first part of it is, you know, I've experienced cultures where I felt like there was no clear vision from the leadership team. And so the best thing that you can do as a product person in that case is, even if there's an absence of vision in the company, you build a vision for what you think your product should do. And you can create a culture for your product team, which is completely vision-driven. So that's the first thing, where you can provide what is lacking in the company. And you'll almost find that you've created this thing where there's a culture that exists within your team and there's a culture within the rest of the organization. And it's such a wonderful and beautiful contrast that you can see your own power for for doing that for your team. The second part of this is, you know, how can you influence within the rest of your organization when you see this gap? How can you influence at a grassroots level? And the answer to that is, it's really hard when you're an individual contributor to walk up there and say to your leadership team, guys, we need a better vision. You can't be that bull in the china shop. And especially as a woman, that's really hard to go in there and be that assertive and and say, you know, we're missing this. Let's get with the program here and come up with it, right? What you need to do instead sometimes is take a facilitative approach. And the trick that I've found is... When you're talking about priorities, instead of just communicating, this is priority one and two and three, go in there saying, this is how I think about these three priorities. Draw up on a whiteboard an X and a Y axis. Well, your Y axis is, is this good for the vision or not? And your X axis is, is this good for our survival or not? And so 
things that are good for vision and survival, those are of course easy decisions. You'll typically do more things in there, very often, but if we only focus on that though, we're being myopic. So sometimes you need to do things that are good for the vision, but not good for survival in the short term. So things like refactoring code for three months, you're investing in the vision. The opposite of that is when you're taking on vision debt. That's when you're doing things good for survival, but bad for the vision. Think of custom features. And so going there, talking about, you know, pushing back about, uh, on, on vision debt. Let's not do vision debt because it's good for survival, but not for vision. Or here's where we need to invest in the vision. When you start talking about it on this X and Y axis, it begs the next question. Oh, so are we aligned on the vision? What is the vision? And this is how you insert your opinion at a grassroots level. And it invites this next question of let's define that vision and align on it. And that's where you can continue to exert more and more influence. Amazing. Thank you so much. You've been so courteous uh, to with your, your information, your sharing. It's been wonderful to have you on. You might be here in the background that lunch is starting, so we should probably bring this episode to a close. Radhika, if people wanted to find out more information about you, how can they do that? Uh, you can get the Radical Product Thinking book. It's wherever books are sold. You can also get the free toolkit on radicalproduct.com. And lastly, you can message me on LinkedIn. I always love to hear from people who tell me about how they're creating change using radical product thinking. So I always love to listen to people and I'd be excited to listen to your listeners share their thoughts. Awesome. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back again very soon. Thank you so much for having me here. Thank you.